This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A2 is software for usability testing and user experience research, enabling you to test quickly and often, letting you solve real design issues. By PowerMapper. Mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By OptimalSort. With an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, OptimalSort can help you run successful card sorts better than you ever thought possible. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. Jake Barton gave an emotionally powerful presentation at UX Week entitled New Paradigms for Interaction in Physical Space. Whether as the interaction designer for NPR StoryCorps, or as the co-lead designer for the National September 11th Memorial Museum at the World Trade Center, Local Projects is creating new paradigms for interaction by tackling physical space. Jake talks with me about how the interaction design process bends, accelerates, and sometimes completely falls apart when applied to the global community. Thank you to Jake for taking his time at UX Week to speak with me, and I hope everyone enjoys the podcast. Cheers. So uh, Jake Barton at uh, UX Week just gave a, a great presentation on uh, well, a number of things around interaction design. And uh, Jake, maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of your background and, and where you come from as an interaction designer. Sure. So uh, I'm the founder and principal of Local Projects. We're a design consultancy in New York City, and we do media design for physical spaces, mostly public spaces and then museums. So in the same way that an architect might use uh, glass or steel to express ideas, we use interactives, we use films, we use websites, typically all in, all in physical spaces and with some aspect of physical design as well. And you were mentioning at the start of your uh, presentation about sort of capturing the idea of the medium is the message and uh, make this the focus of your work. And sure. What you do. Can you expand on that idea a little bit more for us? Yeah, so it's, it's pretty much Marshall McLuhan 101, this idea that uh, how you get a story really influences uh, how you interpret that story and the connections emotional or cognitive with that story. Uh, and in our case, as media designers, that means considering the frame for the work itself, meaning um, not just thinking about the film that you're making, but make, think about the screen, think about people's physical relationship to that screen, the social aspect of that screen. And lots of our work deals with very off-the-shelf technologies, but really looks at the ways in which we can recontextualize those technologies so that the experience feels something that you could only get in this one particular physical space and that it really promotes this one very specific idea. Right, exactly. And you were mentioning actually within your presentation there are sort of there are there are four pillars that have a have a big impact on how you look at shaping projects. Can yeah. you maybe elaborate on those for our listeners? Sure. Um, so the four that I named uh, during the presentation were participation, context, intent, and then the editorial aspect. And really uh, a lot of our work deals with participation and that's both from a sort of user-generated content, which we call like a participation project standpoint, but also just from the ways in which people use their physical bodies, the ways in which their presence actually informs and changes the project. Yeah. And one and leading an illustration of that that I thought was really interesting was this idea of memory maps that you outlined. Sure. So maybe you could talk a little bit about about that project in particular. Yeah, definitely. So memory maps was the first project that we made, and it was a uh, project that essentially tried to become a, a collage portrait of New York City, but instead of using curated assets or stories, um, it actually invited the visitors to write their own memories about specific location stories, and then pin them to these giant oversized borough maps of New York City. Uh, so it essentially became uh, you know, a, a 
True Blue spatialized GIS database, something that's very high tech, but with no technology. It was just little sheets of vellum and push pins. Um, and it really uh, sort of inverted the, the idea of storytelling because typically you have an editorial process that's really uh, sort of refining exactly both the content and then the sequence of the content for the visitors. In this case, it was just an open process that started creating the content. And as people made their way through the exhibition, they could really uh, glean and learn from individual locations depending on their personal connections with them. Yeah, and one of the examples you gave you overheard during the story was uh, you were telling the audience about how uh, someone said, oh yeah, well I went to the same high school 20 years earlier. Exactly. Right? And sort exactly. of that human interaction that you get as a result of the project That's itself. exactly right. Yeah, one of the terms that we use a lot is triangulation, where essentially we want to create a type of interaction or a type of engagement for visitors. But we realize it's, you can't just put a sign on the wall say, talk, saying talk to your neighbor or you know, make a connection with another visitor. So what we do is we try and triangulate between people through exhibitions. So in this case, it actually was very, very natural. So it was surprisingly successful where people would basically be sort of browsing individual locations. The general sense is that they would look at locations they were familiar with, like a neighborhood they had lived in or that they had a personal connection to. Right. And it very naturally just sort of you know, see what stories someone else was pinning up, you know, much like reading a newspaper over someone's shoulder on the subway. And they would just strike up conversations. And there was something about it that even as people telling their own New York stories is a very New York experience. Right. You know, New Yorkers have a real sense of sort of ownership over New York. Mm -hmm. um, it became this very sort of un-New York experience where strangers were just like actively sort of chatting and it became a sort of safe place to just share your New York experiences. Cool. Excellent. And of course, uh, the, the focus of your presentation in general is around uh, the StoryCorps uh, project. Uh -huh. Sure. Um, and of course, uh, Ironically, it's uh, I, I didn't realize in great detail what it was, but of course it fits in beautifully with the podcast. Of course. Um, so maybe you could talk to our listeners a little bit about uh, about the purpose behind that project and sure. how you went about uh, building it. Definitely. So StoryCorps is a national uh, oral histories project where we're basically creating a, a giant oral histories archive for the Library of Congress, Congress, one conversation at a time. So the idea is pretty simple. You go to one of our soundproof booths, you make a reservation, you bring... A neighbor or you bring a relative, you record uh, 45 minutes of you interviewing that person and then you leave with a CD and then a copy of that CD goes into the Library of Cong Congress. Um, and there are all sorts of ways that I was talking about in the presentation that basically um, really challenge the idea of interaction design because typically, particularly for physical space, you think about really uh, sort of creating uh, convenience, you think when you're thinking about an interaction, you really want to make something very clear, very understandable, almost invisible as it were. Sure. Um, but in this case, uh, the creation of one of these interviews is actually very difficult, right? Like you have to get this other person, you have to be at the booth at the same time, you have to make a reservation online beforehand. Oh, wow. There's a lot of anticipation. So all of these aspects actually really raise the stakes, even as it raises the barriers for entry. But that's actually a very positive thing because one of the main goals of the project. Uh, is to create this incredibly intense, searing dialogue between people. And so making it a rarefied, even difficult experience to actually clinch is very, very important to the project. We actually don't, we very self-consciously didn't opt for people to just walk up and make a reservation because we felt like that was actually not psychologically helpful. Meaning if you're just there at Grand Central Station, you're just shopping and doing whatever, like that's not the mindset you should be in for StoryCorps. StoryCorps, one of the guiding ideas we had during the original thought process, and this is with, you know, straight from Dave Isay, who's the founder and creator of StoryCorps. He said, you know, if you just had 45 minutes to remember your grandmother, what would you want those 45 minutes to be? 
Um, and so myself as the interaction designer and then the other members of the design team really tried to craft this experience that raised the stakes so that you could ask those tough questions that you don't in everyday conversation. And sure enough, in terms of the interviews, we, we have lots and lots of examples of people who said, you know, I could never ask my father about his experiences in the Holocaust until I was in that booth. And it gave me a level of permission to ask these incredibly difficult questions that were just never appropriate before. Yeah, and, and what uh, and you showed some uh, throughout different projects, including StoryCorps, some very powerful uh, videos from other projects mm -hmm. as well, including uh, a gentleman from uh, from China after that horrific earthquake that yep. killed so many people, yep. um, and his uh, his his desire to go and help, and how they told him he was too old. Yeah. Um, but he knew that after the earthquake, all the water ducks would be destroyed, and so he loaded up his car with with water and went and handed it out to other people anyway, because yep. ultimately he had the capacity, and he thought that's what caring is all about. That's exactly right. And I think during UX Week, one of the themes that have come out of all of the presentations over the course of the first few days, and I'm sure we'll follow up in the last, is this concept of trying to capture human emotion mm -hmm. that, that a lot of technology really hasn't been able to do thus far, but uh, a lot of the a lot of this, a lot, the Timescapes project, yep. for example, did a great job. Maybe you can elaborate on, on that a little bit, the Timescapes? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So Timescapes is a, it's a condensed history of New York City. It tells the history of New York in 23 minutes, and it does it using cartography, um, and information visualization. So even as you're hearing stories and images of New York City, you're actually seeing the city itself as this abstracted you know, map of New York actually evolving and growing in very specific ways. Um, and so it has, this, it has this way in which, as opposed to the sort of great people, great places of history, that's uh, the typical way that you learn about history, this was a way that the actual star of the show really could be uh, really could be the city because you're understanding how you know all these sort of abstract systems interlock and drive the city to grow as if it was its own uh, vibrant organism that's just stretching and growing and evolving so you know the creation of the Erie Canal brings new industries new industries demand workers those workers come as immigrants they move to tenement districts, those districts explode. Mm -hmm. That drives middle class uh, and upper class people out of those districts, which drives the development of Brooklyn Heights and Union Square. And if you're looking at this on a map, you suddenly understand the city in a very different way. It's not just a series of adjacent neighborhoods that just sort of exist pro forma, but it's actually literally the history of New York itself represented in the physical city that you travel within every day. Yeah. It's just it's just unknown to you because you don't have that layer of time. Everything is represented simultaneously. But one of the ideas that we had for the movie was, what if you could literally peel back the layers of the city based on time and go all the way back to the, when there was no city and then rebuild it for people? And that's exactly what we try and do. Amazing. Truly amazing. And one of the... Uh, Probably one of the, uh, I mean, all these projects obviously are important, um, but uh, it, it, with respect to recent history is the work that you've been doing um, with the uh, September 11th uh, Memorial Museum mm -hmm. uh, at the World Trade Center. Um, and uh, you, you were talking uh, about the point that you made that I found really interesting is that history is still evolving with this event. We're, yeah. still, we're still really trying to capture... Um, you know, the facts, the data, and, and the, the people side of, mm -hmm. of the event itself. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that project and its, uh, its starting point and where you might see it evolving over time. Yeah, definitely. So Think Design with Local Projects are the lead exhibition designers. So we're partnered with another design firm to create the exhibition experience for the National September 11th Memorial 
museum, and it's still very early in the process, so there's not a lot of uh, concrete designs per se to uh, to put in place. But there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of sort of ways in which the nature of the event is shaping how we approach telling the story, and this is both the sort of participatory aspects of the event, meaning uh, there's a way in which 9/11 really happened to everybody mm -hmm. because there it was such a seismic event and it was such a highly mediated event. Uh, it's known that a quarter of the world watched it in real time and over, I think, 90% knew about the event the day of. Mm -hmm. It was really this incredibly global phenomenon. Right. Uh, and also so much of that documentation became, uh, was media-based and was digital, and it is digital. So the, the way in which we approach it from a, I guess, museological standpoint from the actual physical experience will really be through media, because that's how people understood the event itself. Um, but that way in which people really sort of participate in the event uh, will really shape the way we tell the story, because it's not a story, both because of people's participation and also because of the fact that it's, it really is ongoing and people's understanding is still emerging. Um, this thing we call the post-9-11 world is still uh, an unknown, uh, an unknown concept it's it's happening all around us um, in ways that we both understand and, and really don't understand um, so that shapes the the formal qualities of the museum it's not it's not a place where you're going to just look at an artifact and a curator is going to tell you what it means it really should be a place where you go to bear witness uh, to the event and to the actual location itself the archaeology of what's left um, and you get to hear the stories of people who are involved directly and also reflect upon your own stories. And then hopefully put together some type of, of, of meaning, of understanding uh, for the event and, and hopefully come away with some type of uh, better uh, tool or understanding or insight to really grapple with the post 9-11 world, even as it is evolving all around us all the time. Very powerful. And uh, did, do we have a date on when that's um, expected to be completed? or? Right now, they're going through a lot of different scheduling exercises. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah. that there there is a um, there's talk about uh, longer dates to 2015, but I think they're trying to push it back earlier. Um, but basically, it's it's kind of an insane. I mean, it's it's the space itself that's being rebuilt. If you look at the actual outlines of the space, is the entire size of uh, this is what I've been told at least of downtown Atlanta. Meaning downtown Atlanta has this business district, and that's wow. that alone. I mean, it's 16 square blocks, and it goes down eight stories. And you have to build up eight stories just to reach grade. And then they're building six different skyscrapers on top of that. It's just like a phenomenally. Wow. And the crews are there. It's, that's part of what's so moving. I mean, it's 24-hour shifts every day, Christmas, New Year's. These guys are working so hard all the time. And, and the challenge on a scope like that as an interaction designer on oh, yeah. that scale is just phenomenal. I, I have yeah. a hard time wrapping my head around it. Yeah, really. Yeah, so, so do we. I mean, yeah. it's and and it's both scale in terms of the physical location, meaning the museum is over a hundred thousand square feet. Mm -hmm. But then there's also just the the global connection, meaning it really is one of these uh, user design problems where you say, well, who's your user? And the answer is, well, everybody. And this actually is kind of true. I mean, the only thing that will really define users is the way in which they could approach the story, whether it be the website or an actual visit to the physical museum. Uh, and that's not to say that it's an, it's, it's an incredibly differentiated group. And the scope from you know, survivors to victims' families to first responders, all the way to the opposite end to people who weren't even alive 
when 9-11 happens, because right. we have to consider, you know, people who go to this museum generations in the future. It's such an, you know, such a really awesome, in the true sense of the word, challenge to try and consider all these different groups and how they'll be affected in very specific ways by the stories themselves. Really, you know, all the way from considering not wanting to re-traumatize people who were at the event itself is a large consideration. Sure. But on absolutely. the other hand, not wanting to sugarcoat the event. You know, this is, <laughs> this is where it happened, and we are going to actually tell the story. And there are a lot of ways in which, um, you know, through a sense of respect and decorum, uh, as well as uh, just a lack of documentation, I think that, that people whose understanding of the event was really seared in those first couple of days of coverage um, will really be uh, surprised, not just by returning to that coverage, but also to seeing all these other assets that the museum uh, is gathering and, and trying to wrap your head around what actually happened you know, inside the towers and in the different firehouses and then all the way around the world. Well, without question, uh, an incredibly important project and uh, obviously something to be, uh, to be very proud of to be involved in. Without, no, thanks so much. Without question. Um, Going back to StoryCorps, just for a sure. second, if yeah, people yeah. wanted to learn more about StoryCorps, can you talk to our listeners about where they can go to uh, learn definitely, about that? Definitely. Uh, I'm sorry I neglected to say that. No, so, not at all. Please. So um, StoryCorps.net is the, is the website. It's, uh, it's an ongoing project, and there are, there are physical booths in New York City uh, that you can visit. There are other booths in other physical locations. I think at the Indianapolis Library there's one. There's one in Tennessee. There are mobile booths. Uh, one on the east side of, of the country and one on the west side of, of the country. There's also different services like StoryCorps door-to-door. Um, so there are a myriad of different ways to get involved uh, with the project, and that's just in terms of giving your stories. If you just want to listen to stories, um, there's, a, there's a book, there's a compilation CD, and then obviously the website has all the stories themselves. And then it appears on Morning Edition, Friday mornings on NPR every Friday. Well, and the website is? StoryCorps.net. Well, Jake, thanks very much for taking oh, time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And uh, good luck with all of your projects. Really Terrific. appreciate you taking the time. No, I appreciate it from you. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.